0: à Nicolas Pépé
1: This is Arscast
2: Extra Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunnerblog James goodly morning to you
1: Goodly morning to you too. How are you doing?
2: I'm all right. What a week it's been for Arsenal. Thomas Partey makes his full debut, knocks, knocks it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Uh, we win our first Europa League game, brilliant away from home, and our new social media intern is just red hot.
1: <laughs> yeah, Arsenal's social media game has stepped up a level with the, the signing of Mesut Ozil, <laughs> uh, whose minute-by-minute minute commentary on last night was a, a surreal sight, I think it's fair to say.
2: Well, I didn't see it because I was doing my own live blog, so... Of course. um,
1: Well, I mean, it's competition in the market, Andrew, now.
2: I feel like he might
1: just have a bit more
2: clout than me, you know? A few more followers, what
1: have you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, uh, it was a dual-screen experience for me, you know? I was kind of watching (laughs) that uh, with with one eye and then the other on the game. Mm -hmm. Um, The Europa League, have you missed it?
2: Have I missed it? Uh There's a really good question. Actually, I thought <laughs> uh, if people haven't, and I'm sure people haven't, um, because it's one of those games which doesn't necessarily generate a huge amount of interest, but I would recommend going to Arse blog News and reading Andrew Allen's match report uh, of the game, which I thought was very entertaining, probably more entertaining than the game itself. The final line of which is Europa League football. It's just as you remembered it.
1: <laughs> it really is. It really is. And I have to say, despite my um, hyping up of the possibility of the atmosphere that s- the presence of some crowd might bring, uh, it felt, at least through my TV screen, that that sort of didn't remotely materialise. I
2: thought, actually, I I beg to differ slightly on that. Oh, really? I thought, I thought there were some moments where, you know, they might boo an Arsenal player for doing something or or, you know, get behind their team a bit. I found it quite... Quite nice Cheery. to hear some real fans in the stadium again because, you know, we've discussed this, but I've been watching all the games without crowd noise where possible because I, I just can't deal with the fake crowd noise. So mm. I don't know if it was augmented because it sounded like there was more of them there than were actually in the stadium. Either that or they had the microphones. Turned on them completely, and they'd done some kind of coordinated um, rehearsal about what they were going to sing and say and do during the game. But I, I quite liked it. I thought there was some moments where they were behind their team. There was a bit of booing of Arsenal players. You know, when we did things, I enjoyed that. So
1: um, maybe look, you know what it is. What? Maybe it's that I've been. I've become so. Uh, lulled by the false crowd noise. Do you know what I mean? I've kind of been dining on a diet of fake crowd noise that the reality underwhelmed (laughs) me. But I'm glad that you enjoyed
2: it. Yeah, you're sitting there going, hey, why are these people not reacting to things after about two seconds. Yeah, why, why are, are they, they so doing quick it off straight the mark? away? What's happening here? This is, this is bullshit right here, yeah. It's now, suspicious. Yeah, well look, there you go. It was a little sidebar to, to what happened last night. Um so where do we start on this one? Uh where where do you feel like Starting, I'll throw this over to you because um, you know I'm not necessarily saying I'm I'm uninspired by what happened last night, but you know sometimes <laughs> sometimes I feel like uh, you know you need a bit more responsibility on this podcast, so go for it.
1: <laughs> well, I suppose what I feel is kind of like kind of the, the same as I felt about Arsenal for the majority of this season, really, which is that you know we looked increasingly. Uh, like there are things to be excited about or positive about in the sort of defensive third uh, and we weren't particularly inspiring certainly not until that last 20 minutes or so in the final third and you know I was hoping that playing some I think we can call them inferior opposition might kind of see us dominate the game more or create a lot more opportunities Mm. and that didn't come to pass so I suppose my sort of big takeout from it is I'm very glad we won the game um, and I'm encouraged by the fact that we you know we did get those goals but there is that lingering concern for me of, you know, yeah. When is the magic gonna start happening?
2: <laughs> yeah, that is uh, has been a common theme, I think, in in the analysis and some of the discussion that I've seen, and certainly I wrote about it in the blog today. In terms of, you know, what we have to do next as part of our development under Mikel Arteta, and mm. I think we can all accept that there were things he had to put right and things he had to correct and lay foundations and everything else. But you know, we're we're we're. We're bare walls and a roof, if you like. You know, it's time to start a little bit of
1: decoration. If we're going to use the old house analogy, agree. yeah. So uh, the, the thing, the thing that I sort of get stuck on is sort of wondering what is the appropriate time frame to kind of demand that in. Yeah, Do you that's, know what I mean?
2: yeah. I think that's I think that's reasonable. I think it comes from the fact that people can see that things are better than they used to be when it comes to our defense and and how more secure we are as a team. And I say that after we conceded one of the most le- uh, insecure goals that we've conceded in yeah. a long time under Mikel Arteta or anybody else. So uh, I'm not uh, blind to that particular piece of irony. But I think in general, people can see that the many of the issues if not all not all of them i mean um have been addressed the things that he had to absolutely work on and get right from the start he has made progress with those so now i think people are saying well look if we can do this if we're capable of doing that if we're not helter skelter if every opposition set piece doesn't make a shit our pants if attacking the opposition goal doesn't mean that we're wide open and uh, easy to counter attack against you know if we can uh, identify all those things is it now not time to start adding some of the flourishes you know the the flooring the wallpaper whatever it might be but sometimes it feels like Mikel arteta is putting uh, wallpaper on the floor and, you know, <laughs> tiles on the, you know, floor tiles on the walls and stuff. He,
1: yeah, he's still, like, pouring cement into the basement in an attempt to provide, like, greater solidity, mm. when really we do need uh, a bit of decoration, like you like you put it. I mean, he, yeah. let's come back to that. To go back to the very beginning, were, did you have any surprises in the team selection? I mean, I thought it was pretty much as I expected it to be.
2: Sort of in that we played in Kedia in a position I didn't really expect him to play in. Yeah, yeah. You know, I... I what do you w- mean?
1: Le- out by the left touchline is the best position in our team. That's where we put <laughs> our, our very best players.
2: For, for a striker whose uh, cumulative, cumulative yardage when it comes to scoring goals is about three, you mm-hmm. know, he doesn't really crack them in from outside the box or he's not that kind of a player, is he? So I think that was a bit of a strange one to me, particularly as I think there was, um, there was another option. You know, a fairly obvious option for me would have been to play Maitland-Niles and Yusaka uh, as part of, uh, you know, that front three. Mm-hmm. So that, mm-hmm. would, that would have felt a little more, oh, look, we've got a window where a window should be and not a door. Kind of thing. Um, yeah, I'm not going say- to keep going on this house analogy. I'm sorry, i I'm, you know,
1: but no, it's fine. I- I'm not convinced by Enketia in a wide role at all. I must say, he came on, didn't he? At, at right wing, was it in the previous game? Mm. Um, Against Man City, I, I just don't see him flourishing out there. He is such a penalty box yeah. player, and perhaps it's, more so than any other player it, we have.
2: Isn't it, isn't it reasonable to say that he's uh, you, you might not be convinced yet by him in his natural position? You know, I think well, yeah, I, and that's not to be hugely critical. It, it, just, it is what it is with a twenty-one-year-old striker, a twenty-one-year-old player. You know, he's he's still learning his trade. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think. That was a bit of an issue. Uh, I was glad to see Thomas Partey start, though, and I think that is probably going to be our big positive takeaway from this. Um, yeah. Unless there's something more you want to add to the front three discussion, which, or we could come no, back to it when we talk about the subs-
1: I, I mean, the chemistry wasn't right. It didn't really work in the front three. Yeah, I was really pleased to see Thomas Partey start. And, you know, granted, it's one game. Granted, it's the Europa League. I mean, I, I suppose the biggest compliment you can pay him, and I think it's something Owen Hargreaves said at half time, is that you know he looked like a Champions League player out there at the Europa League. It looked, you know, well below his level, and uh, mm. that's a, a positive, really, because that's the the caliber of player we should be trying to sign.
2: Yeah, for sure. You know, you can see what he brings. You can see the quality in there, the the passing, the intent, the the desire to get the ball forward. Uh, As much as possible, often first time as well, which I really liked because that sort of speed of transition helps when you're Mm -hmm. trying to break down teams. So there was there was a lot to like about his performance and you know what he can bring to this team.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, for me, that's him in the team now. You know, he's kind of shown he's up to speed. I think. I think he'll play at the weekend, and I think he should play. I think. I think defensively he was really good as well. I mean, there were a few instances, there was a great sort of interception slash tackle on the edge of the box. Mm. Uh, A couple of headers that he won quite impressively. I I just thought he looked really sharp. And yeah, the, the passing, the progressive passing was a sort of pleasant surprise, really. I mean, I hoped that we would see that from him, but I wasn't necessarily sure. It's not something that he was called upon to do enormously at Atletico Madrid. He was kind of the guy, the give it and get it guy. Um, but he looks like he does have that in his locker and that is something that we we desperately need. I mean, when we get onto our attack and our problems in the final third, I do think that, you know, the way we pass the ball from the midfield is kind of as, as big a contributor as anything else. What, what
2: exactly do you mean?
1: Well, I, I think if you look at the winning goal, just to jump ahead, the pass that Mohamed Elneny plays... The forward intent that's in that pass, it's remarkable in that it's not something we see that frequently from our collection of central midfield players. And I don't believe that, say, a Granit Xhaka or a Danny Ceballos doesn't have the technical quality or the imagination to play that pass. Mm. But I think that there are two things that stop it happening. I think one is... We don't have good enough movement in the final third. I yeah. don't think the running off the ball is there to, to provide uh, you know targets for those passes. And I do just think there is a sort of question of intent. I do think that it, there's such a focus on stability and shape that maybe we can be a little bit risk-averse in possession. And yeah. as great a pass as that is, it's very, very, very nearly intercepted. You know, A guy mm. almost gets a foot to it and that's kind of the game you have to play To be progressive and to be attacking.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think we are a little bit cautious. I do think, as well, there is an element of it is difficult to break down a team which is sitting deep and which is organized, and they were organized quite well last night. You know, I'm not saying they're a brilliant team or anything else, but, you know, at this level, any half-decent coach can get a a team organised and and sit off and keep your shape and make it difficult. And, you know, we do lack some of those players in the team. You know, when you've got a striker on the left wing, a striker who I think is really struggling in Lacazette, Mm -hmm. um, who looks like he's struggling physically to me um, to do the things that... As we discussed on the last podcast, that Mikel Arteta seems to want from his centre forward. Mm. You know, I, I do think it's not quite as easy as just saying, "Look, we should play uh, with more uh, intent or what have you." I think, I think that the issue of movement is a really big one because you could see the difference when uh, Aubameyang and and Bellerin came on. Um, yeah. Look, you can't really say it's an inspired substitution, can you? When you take off two players and put on two much, much better players. It's not <laughs> right. really like, well, this is a piece of uh, chicanery that nobody would have expected. right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's pretty easy. And I know it was that the game state plays a part as well in that, you know, it was getting on uh, and there's elements of fatigue and the other team maybe not uh being able to maintain their focus and concentration and, and positional discipline, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um mm. but I do think that issue of movement is a is a really is a really big one because you could see what happened when when those two players came on and immediately we looked better, brighter, sharper and found space.
1: Yeah. And I think your point about Lacazette is a really good one. I mean he's clearly a player who, even though he's got a few goals early in the season, he's is well short of form. I actually think that's actually a sort of broader point about our attacking play as well. How many of our attacking players could you mm. say were in good form? Um, and I know these things all feed into each other. They are all connected and all related. But, um, you know, I mean, apart from Bukayo Saka, I think it, it becomes very difficult.
2: Okay, okay, so here's a broad question then, not necessarily specific to last night. Mm. If we as fans look at this team and acknowledge that the next step is to be more potent, be more effective as an attacking unit. Mm-hmm. Do we not have to acknowledge, or how will I say this, that that a consistent part of what we've done under Mikel Arteta to get to where we are, to get to the point where we want this, has been with a striker like Lacazette or like Kedia playing that particular role and that in order to improve we have to do something different with that position, with that space on the pitch uh, because ultimately what those players can give us is part of the reason why we're not quite as good as an attacking unit as people want.
1: I think that what I think about that is that Ideally, you'd have a better centre forward there. But we know? do have one. We do yeah. have one. We don't yeah, have to do go have to the one. market. We have one. No. But if you ask me in my ideal world, I would have someone who's better at doing the things Lacazette can do and Aubameyang playing from the left. That's my ideal world. But, but we don't have that.
2: But why would your ideal world not be Aubameyang playing in the position where he is best and somebody who could do more from the left or from the right. Does that not make more sense given our squad makeup right now and the, the, the ability that we have to bring in players in the transfer market? You know, it, it strikes me that the solution is there right in front of us. So, uh, you know, the, the ideal world for me would be getting the best out of a, a striker, particularly one of Yang's age. We mm-hmm. have to acknowledge that aspect of it too.
0: Yeah,
1: I do think that people are forgetting the games Aubameyang plays up top through the middle where he doesn't get a kick, and we go we haven't got an out ball, we haven't got anyone who can hold it, and we did have game quite a lot of games like that, and I'm not saying every game, but sometimes, and I do think that having a listen, it's just a purely subjective thing. Mm. I prefer a structural centre forward with runners off them. That's just how you know if I if I was a football manager, and thankfully I'm not, but if I was. That was probably that would be how I'd get my team to play. It's how Liverpool play a lot of the time, and I think they do it exceptionally well. Mm. So, you know, in both instances, in my opinion, we're saying we're saying we want something we haven't got. I mean, you're saying I wish we had a wide player who could, you know, allow Aubameyang to play through the middle and provide I, masses of productivity.
2: I think we've got that.
1: We don't know that.
2: We don't. I don't n- think. Okay, for sure, we don't know it. But I think Saka coming off a, a debut season with twelve assists has demonstrated that he is capable. Uh, is he young? Is he still raw? Is he still inexperienced? Can games pass him by a little? Absolutely, absolutely. But I think the the player is there. Um, I know we've also got Martinelli I think he on the will left. Be
1: there. Yeah, I think he will be there. I'm not sure he's there right now. I mean, uh, you know... Well, I, uh,
2: who is our best player against Man City?
1: Uh, probably Saka. Yeah. But, uh, you know...
2: So I I, I think we are um, within this system or with the players that we have to play in the system that Arteta wants or what he wants from his centre forward. I think we are basically swimming against the tide if we want the kind of improvement that we want to see from an attacking point of view. And the solution for me based on what we've got in the squad is doing something different. Because I think the the I think the fundamentals are there. I think the the foundations are pretty much there. I think the spine has been strengthened with Gabriel. I think the spine has been strengthened with Thomas Partey. And now I think it's time to look at doing something different from an attacking perspective, because we don't have enough shots. We don't create enough. And if we're talking about movement being key to creating chances, there is literally nobody better in our team than Aubameyang to make those runs and to find those spaces and to get on the end of things. Um, Someone did a great clip of Willian during the Man City game, where there are a couple of moments where he had the opportunity to make a run into space which could have created chances for us. But because he's not a striker, he didn't do it. And I wonder if, James, part of the reason why we're sometimes a little cautious or uh, unproductive from midfield is because the players in those positions aren't looking for players who can make the runs that Yang might make. So if you get an Obamiang in there who's going to play on the shoulder of the defender or run between defenders or or look for the ball that's curled in behind, then maybe the the passing and maybe the uh, the chance creation from midfield and from those areas starts to improve.
1: Maybe, maybe. I mean, I, I I'm not convinced to be honest. Like, it, it, it's possible, but I think that it's it's very easy to go. What we're doing isn't working. Therefore, the other thing will. Do you know what I mean? It's it's, uh, well. What else do you do? (laughs) Well, you can change it with. You can change the way you play. Sure. Without changing, I suppose the question is, you know, you say the fundamentals are in place, but I think it's sort of clear that Arteta views, at the moment, he views the role of the centre forward as one of those fundamentals because he never changes it.
2: Mm.
1: So if the fundamentals and the structure are there maybe that is part of his envisaged structure
2: Mm, maybe so maybe so anyway look that's just my two cents Uh, that's just the the way I look at it at the moment Um, I think that if we are going to improve from an attacking point of view we've got to do something different Um, and maybe that's maybe that's playing somebody else in midfield maybe that's pushing somebody else into a a more attacking midfield role I don't know but just based on what, what we have right now and the the Particular talents of the players that we have, that's what I would do. So, um, the goals, then mm. Mm. I think we could leave Leno discussion to part two because I've got some questions, right? Uh, about that. But it was a bad mistake,
1: that was a bad yeah, mistake, but it's gonna happen, right? Like, we're gonna get two of those a season, I think, and so are Man City, you know. Mm. like Liverpool have had a few out, of them already. Yeah, you play out from the back, you incur a degree of risk As Arteta said afterwards he demands it of the players. Mm. So it's going to happen. And and actually like yeah, we'll we'll come back on to Leno because like I don't think it's the strongest dimension of his game, but it happened. And 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 everything that happened after that with him probably was a consequence
2: of that. Mm. Yeah, I mean I think for me what was a little bit more worrying wasn't so much the mistake itself because I think like you it can happen um with goalkeepers and the style that we play but I was just maybe a little bit more concerned that it happened again and Mm. it happened again late on that one where he just booted the ball at Louise when he could have just cleared it out so I think it was the fact that the the initial mistake got to him
1: yeah, yeah, and but to be fair to Leno, that's not usually the case. No, He's no, somebody... I
2: agree. I agree. That's why I, I just find it a little bit worrying.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, with that any any mistake playing out from the back, mm. it always looks terrible for the guy on the ball. But actually, there has to be more of a collective responsibility. I mean. You know, there has to be more... There have to be people really pushing to make themselves available. And with the exception of Louise, who was very narrow and very near, I'm not sure there were massively. So, listen, I mean, uh, I have my... It's, it's a mistake. It's mm. definitely a mistake. But I'm kind of relatively philosophical about it. Maybe that's easier <laughs> because we won the game.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course. I think if uh if we hadn't, if we hadn't got those two goals, obviously there'd be a lot more focus on this. Uh but we'll come back to Leno, we'll come back to him in part two. I'm just watching this again. I'm just watching it. Oh no, I'm watching a guy shoot over. Um, one sec.
1: Your your brain always thinks when a goalkeeper makes a mistake like that, you always look at sort of the pass they were given. Was it on their wrong foot? Was it you know but I don't think that was the case in this instance.
2: Yeah, I'm just watching that. Well, I'm watching think- them celebrate. I'm waiting for the replays to see exactly what happened. Yeah, because I think
1: the TV cut to it late. Yeah.
2: yeah, TV was showing a replay of a guy shooting over when Leno obviously took the goal kick. So he's standing there going, shit, shit. Um, this is not interesting podcast material, me watching replays.
1: No, no. I'm, I'm surprised back- it's not...
2: Oh that's just terrible. I'm so, yeah. There's no real mitigation there I don't think. Um Yeah. Yeah, just a really bad mistake. Okay, we'll come back to Leno in in part 2. Um our goals.
1: Our goals, well I had a funny feeling David Luiz was going to score. I don't know what it was, but shortly after they scored there was a we had a corner and the camera cuts Luiz in close up. Uh and he looked very angry and I thought I quite fancy him here. And he didn't get on the end of that one, mm. but he did get on the end of the Pepe one. Uh, probably another goalkeeping mistake, to be honest, but a good delivery and a good header.
2: Yes, I think that's the thing. Is It was, you know, look, the goalkeeper didn't cover himself in glory at all, but I think uh, on the live blog I said something like, oh, please, let's have a... How about one decent delivery, lads, is what I said. And then it was. It was a really good mm. ball in from Pepe. Um, you know, the goalkeeper, I don't think makes that mistake without the ball that was played, if that makes mm. sense. You know, mm. uh, that that's what makes it difficult for goalkeepers or, or they think they can come for a ball. Um, so it was a great delivery, great uh, ball in from Pepe, decent header from Luiz. Um, and then we have the second goal a couple of minutes later, um, Mosil,
1: Yeah, defence splitting pass from Aaron Alneny. Mm. I mean, actually, I feel kind of bad sort of being ironic about Alneny because he's been... Sort of nothing but pretty good since he came back from loan. Sure, but that's not the kind of thing he normally does, even
2: though he did play quite a significant role in a goal recently as well, which I Fulham, can't remember. I think it was. Or... Was it Fulham?
1: Maybe. Well, he did, he did in one of the Fulham goals where he played a big crossfield pass. And I think there was another no, goal There was goal there one on the edge of, of the box. I'm forgetting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, home game...
2: Yeah, and yang stepped over. It was I think it was a Bellerin cross again. Everyone yeah. out there is going, It's the goal against you fucking idiots. Let me see. It's not, was I mean, it against it's Sheffield really. United?
1: It could be. It's bad that we don't know. Sorry everybody. Uh it, only played was it Saka's goal
2: for Sheffield United? I can't remember.
1: Yeah, maybe it was. Let's say it
2: was. Let's say it was. And people will correct us on Twitter if we're wrong anyway, so
1: Anyway, basically, I know everybody thinks El Nenny's not very good, <laughs> but he is okay. he, he he is okay, and I don't mean that as a criticism. Like in a Europa League game, he is absolutely fine as someone who can rotate into the midfield and do that job. It, it, in my opinion, can't
2: disagree. Can't disagree. Yeah. I mean, I think he is he is a Europa League squad player. That's yeah. what he is, uh, and I uh, think that he produced a really nice moment um, for Bellerin to cross for Aubameyang.
1: And I think Bellerin deserves credit too for making that run. I mean, one of the sort of functions of the system we played in this game is that um, it kept Cedric playing in like quite a high attacking area. And uh, as I tweeted, finally, we have a formation that can unleash Cedric. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I think he was at perfectly, as he always is, perfectly serviceable, but not very good. Uh, and I think Bellerin is very good in those areas. I am I am still sort of I still sort of dissecting Arteta's comment during Project Restart where he was like you know, Cedric is our best uh fullback in the final third. I still am like, Did you mean that? Or was that just to sort of stop everyone banging on about how weird a transfer it was? Mm. Um for me, it's it's not the case, and Bellerin is far superior at that
2: Oh, end. I agree completely. I think Bellerin's a much better player. I have to say, though, there were a couple of early crosses in from Cedric which were excellent. Really, well, really, really good delivery. Yeah,
1: I think his striking of the ball is basically pretty good. I don't think his reception, his running, his ability to go in behind. I don't. His dribbling. I don't think that. His
2: kicking, his running, his <laughs> jumping, his, his, his tackling. Uh, yeah, none yeah, of those things yeah. are any good. Uh, all those like, other
1: things. No, no. I mean, yeah, he can cross the ball. He no. can cross the ball. He took corners in this game. Yeah, um, which Not, shows you yeah. they think something about his delivery. But I just think in a team that's crying out for penetration, um, Bellerin is much more penetrative as a runner. Sure. And to to circle back, by the way, on the sort of striker left wing thing, as I said, my ideal is a centre forward we don't have. Because I love that run that Ober can make for that goal. I love that diagonal and he's made it plenty of times and I mm. can't track it and he's, he's one of the best in the world at it. Mm equally i accept we don't have that player and at the moment saka looks closer to being the winger we'd like than lacazette looks close that looks yeah. to being the center forward we'd like sure so it is it is a it is a a case of you know we need we need to improve it we need to improve it and i and i don't think looking at the performances in this game of both lacazette and inkettia that either of them look like the guy who's going to sort of imminently do that. No, that's for sure.
2: So look, uh, bottom line, reasonable away win against probably the the most difficult team in the group.
1: Yeah. We had to use players we didn't want to use, but then, I mean, at least we took them. At least they were there. Yeah. Uh, At least we could. That is probably the toughest fixture, one, you would think. Yeah. And I think we really needed that last 20 minutes. I mean, it's a little bit reminiscent of the Sheffield United game, isn't it? In that, like, for 70 minutes or so, we weren't really doing it. We were all looking at this going, oh, this feels familiar in a really bad, troubling way. Sure. And then we kind of squeaked out of it. But I think to allay those concerns and allay those, I don't know, fears. It's fine to say fears we need something much more convincing, don't we?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people are beginning to get a little bit antsy about performance levels. Um, But, you know, we've got a couple of home games coming up now, which might um, and hopefully will uh, see us get on a little bit of a run or put some wins together. So people always feel better when we win. It's worth pointing out we're coming into this game off the back of a defeat as well, which sort of clouds your... Clouds your um, not judgment, but your perception of what you want the team to do, because you sometimes really want them to say, "Well, we hated that defeat. Let's go out and smash a team four n- four nil, five nil, whatever it, whatever it was." I have to say, I caught like a tiny bit of the the pregame stuff on BT, oh. where there was uh, Martin Keown was saying, "Well, I don't expect Arsenal to even concede a goal here. I think they'll win four nil, five nil, something like that." And I was thinking, really. Mm. I didn't have that sense going into this like I would have taken a uh, you know a solid 2-0 whatever it was. Um sometimes I think we underestimate some of the opposition that we face, you know? I know there are teams in this Europa League group that we will be expected and rightly expected to score goals against. I'm not necessarily sure it was this team. Although when the guy on BT commentary said and there's blah 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 currently on loan from Barnsley I was like, "Oh, okay, maybe."
1: When you're a player from <laughs> Barnsley, it tells you the level of bit. I mean, yeah, I, I do think that I saw Martin Kian say that 4-0, and I thought, I don't know if that's realistic, Martin. I mean, I just don't think, actually, that we play in a way that I can kind of envisage that result occurring, kind of regardless of opposition. I mm. do just think that we are uh, conservative. I, yeah. I really do think that, and... You know, there 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 have been mooted comparisons to the bad man, uh, <laughs> and I think I can understand some of that. But I think there are genuine causes for optimism here. I mean, yeah. what's happened defensively should not be discarded just because we're worried about the other end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think Gabriel had another good night. He was good. He's good. I like Party him. Party looks yeah. good. It's it. You know it. it <laughs> The, the the core the spine of the team is getting stronger but to conti- sort of to mix it up from our house analogy hmm. it's no good just having a spine you need arms and legs and a and a face and a staircase <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Okay, before we move on, I got a good email this morning from uh, Joshua Plattman, who says, hi, Andrew and James and all at Arse Blog. blah, blah, blah. Um, says some nice things about the blog and the podcast. So thank you very much indeed for that. He said, on to the main point of this email. I've just finished watching Arsenal's epic Europa League comeback over Rapid Vienna. It was mm. fantastically average. Yes, it was. He said, the best thing about it, though, were the subtitles that accompanied the stream I used. Here are some of the alternative names it gave the players. He says, yes, I took notes. It's like an old copy of Pro Evolution Soccer. So he gives some of the names, and these are some of the subtitles that appeared on the screen when those names were mentioned in commentary. So he starts with who who is also referred to as That's an Inch, Collateral, Allison Itch, Classic Match, Once Attached, and Glass Attached. <laughs> elneni how many and male nanny?
1: <laughs> wow, an alternative oh, career.
2: Obama funny. Yang, Bobby Young. <laughs> if, wow, Bobby. I like that, Bobby Young. If that's a man, Obama Yang, a bomb again, and the family young.
1: <laughs> Hector, <laughs> that was our performance, Obama yeah. bomb again.
2: <laughs> Hector Bellerin, thanks for bearing. Um, Thomas Partey, Thompson. Toxic, no but, and Thompson Center, um, Pepe, no pay, um, Stoikovich, who was referred to as stalker bitch or just wow. like a bitch, <laughs> yeah, and Arsenal keeper came out as hostile caper. So there you go. I saw some <laughs> of those were really excellent. I really yeah, like. It a, I really yeah. like Bobby Young.
1: Bobby Young. I mean, I'm going to get that in the back of my shirt. Tattoo, Uh, mate.
2: Tattoo.
1: And Burned Leno definitely was on a hostile caper last night. Yeah, seemed to me.
2: seemed to be. So anyway, thank you for that, Joshua. Thanks for the email. Um, We are going to take a little break here. We're going to come back in part two with your questions and more right after this.
0: Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time? Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits. Then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy.
2: Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunner Blog and at Arse Blog, Also on the Arse Blog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Blog, And on the Arse Blog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arse Blog member on Patreon. Before we get into this, we are playing this weekend Leicester on Sunday night at 7.15. Pff, a terrible time really for is. a game on a Sunday, really? isn't it? Yeah. It really is. Um, but there you go. Um it is on pay-per-view of course and we've discussed pay-per-view and people are aware that uh this is going to cost 14.95 on top of your sky or bt subscription whatever you might have and um, people have objections to this of course um it's a captive audience i'm sure many people are going to pay that but uh one thing that has happened over the last week or so is that football fans have been donating to good causes as a kind of demonstration against pay-per-view. And I think uh, it's possible to pay for the game and also make a donation. But uh, a lot of people are doing that. Newcastle fans raised over £20,000 for a local food bank. And mm-hmm. the Arsenal Trust, Arsenal Supporters Trust, rather, uh, have done something similar, put in place a link where you can give to Islington Giving, which is a, an organisation that... that. Um, uh, donates to many good causes in the Islington area. So if you fancy donating the price of a pay-per-view game or whatever you can afford to that, there is a link in the show notes. You'll find that on your app or on com, Or you can uh, just go to the uh, arsenaltrust.org uh, to their website. They've got all the details on there. So um, I, I think I saw yesterday that had been over seven or £8,000 raised already from yeah. Arsenal fans, which is great. Um, and, of course, it's in the focus this week uh, as well, given everything that's going on with um, Marcus Rashford and his uh, incredible attempts to combat child hunger and child poverty. Um, so whatever you can give uh, and you feel like you can contribute to that, uh, just follow the link and you can... Yeah, there you go. I don't know. Anything to add?
1: And no need to pay for the pay-per-view anyway because you can just follow the game on Mesut Ozil's Twitter account.
2: <laughs> oh okay do you want do you want to start the questions
1: yes let's go first let's go with this question about Thomas Partey from Frank Nana Ampon Jr and Frank says "Party had his full debut last night his numbers were amazing should he now be the first name on the sheet on match days or should Mikel continue easing him into the starting 11 no play him play him straight away
2: he's he's uh, he's got all the things that we want from a midfielder. He's got the experience. He's got the quality. He's got the uh, the physicality. He's got the, the technicality. He's got it all. So mm. why would we need to ease him in anymore? Like, I understand the Man City thing from the perspective of him only arriving at the club a couple of days before the game. I get that. Mm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he doesn't need to be... Uh, Molly coddled. He's 27 years of age. He has been there, done that for a team with all due respect to us, better than us for the last number of years in Atletico Madrid. He's worked for an extremely demanding coach. And we think that Arteta is that kind of coach as well, albeit in his own way, slightly different from Diego Simeone. But what he wants and what he expects from his players is not going to be new. It's not any kind of culture shock for, for Thomas Partey. So I don't really see the need to to sort of ease him in. Do you?
1: No, I don't actually at all. Um, I think he should play from now on. I thought he was, like I said... A, a, it was a really excellent debut mm. and it's one of those debuts you I think people will remember because immediately it felt fresh and it felt like he was doing something that our other midfield players don't necessarily always do you know mm. he had that that separation that athleticism uh the confidence i really liked it he. he had a lot of presence uh, uh, this is not at all a criticism or a caveat of that player i'm really really happy we've signed that player But since he's come in, have you sort of thought, of the two types of midfielder we could have bought, are you regretful at all about the type that we went for?
2: No, not regretful. I mean, I think I said on the podcast I would have liked uh, our... Because I, I, I fancy a player like that a bit more, you know, that's a personal thing. I like that kind of attacking midfield player. Mm. Um, mm. But I'm not blind to what Partey can bring to a midfield, which has been, I'm not going to say one-dimensional, perhaps two-dimensional, but without those dimensions being quite as good as they need to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, it's not to slag off any of the players that we have, but I think Partey can do more. He can do more in midfield than some of the players that we have. So I'm not regretful. I think he he improves us. He makes us better. He increases the quality of the the team. I think he gives us a few more options in midfield in terms of how we can set up the team. So I'm not regretful at all. Um, you know, I, I like what I've seen so far, early days, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but you know, there's no there's no need to just Um, play safe with this guy.
1: No, I don't think he needs to be put in cotton wool at all, really. And, you know, I think next week i could expect him to not play the Europa game. He should be playing the Mm. Premier League games for us, and I think that is what will happen. Yeah. To to slightly rephrase my question, uh, I suppose what I mean is sort of, do you, mm, as much as we're all convinced that Miklarteta needs to make the most of the pieces that he has available to him, do you still feel that in the composition of this team there is a piece missing yeah yeah mm. i think there is yeah i think
2: we can I all do as well. i think we can all see that um but maybe I, Go on. well i just mean maybe it was unrealistic for us to expect the club or the the uh yeah maybe the club to to fix both those issues in yeah. one window i mean i think this is this is a work in progress still. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. and I think we have to sometimes step back and realize that that progress and what have you is very often incremental. It's very rarely do you come in and do everything all in one go. I mean, I don't want to keep harping on about Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp, but it took them a long time to get to the point where the final two pieces of their puzzle were Van Dijk and Alisson. Do you know what I mean? Mm.
1: Mm. Of course. And I I agree with you. I think, you know, it, it was never going to be a one summer job in which Arteta was going to suddenly have all the players that he'd want at his disposal. And I, I'm not making excuses for him. I just think inevitably, you know, building a team in the transfer market takes time, especially in trying circumstances. My nagging worry, I would say, is that uh, while I do believe there are things we can do tactically and in terms of intention and all those things to improve ourselves an attacking force. When I look at our Premier League rivals and sort of the leaps forward that they made in terms of their attacking games sort of nine times out of 10, it felt like it was associated with signings. Um, a recent example would be Man United, for example, Bruno Fernandes, whatever. You know, effectively their front three is the same composition, but that one player seems to have suddenly change the yeah. amount of attacking threat.
2: Well, let's give Partey a bit of time.
1: Yeah, maybe, true.
2: maybe he could. I'm not saying he is like Bruno Fernandez. in a different
1: way. Maybe he could. Maybe
2: that. he could. You know, but we don't. We obviously don't know yet. He's played his first game last night, um, and and how he's integrated and what he brings to the team at Premier League level over the next few weeks and months is going to be really interesting yeah. to see. So- well,
1: I mean, there was a great comment, Mikel Arteta, after the game, sort of said, you know, at times in the second half we were chasing and it felt like Partey was holding the midfield on his own. And you sort of want to butt in and go, well, yeah, that's fine. That's sort of what we bought him for. Do <laughs> <Yeah, sure. laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, he, he could do that from the first minute, in a way, and that could allow us to be a lot more attacking, hopefully
2: hopefully. Okay, here is a question from, uh, we have a couple on this actually, one from the Discord uh, from Ike SL, who says, should Rhys Nelson be concerned that a centre forward in Eddie and Keddie is being preferred to him to play out wide, and should Eddie be concerned that he's not getting opportunities at centre forward, with even William being preferred, while on Twitter, Joe, who's at red and white 11, says, we've seen Eddie out wide a few times now, it clearly doesn't work. Can Reese Nelson feel hard done by that those minutes don't go to him. We've clearly liked a creative spark and he can provide that. Ideally Pepe should do that too, but struggled in this game, but maybe that's a separate issue.
1: Mm. Uh, I mean I think Reese Nelson should be pretty concerned that Eddie and Kessler starting that game on the left wing and he's not and he's coming on for a minute at the end. Mm. And you know, I remember David Ornstein reporting that Reese Nelson was available for loan and as far as I understand it that remained the case until the deadline closed. Uh, and a suitable move was not found. And I think that is a substantial blow to Reese Nelson. I think he kind of needed that loan. I think for his development, it would have been really valuable. I think we'd be getting to look at him play Premier League football. At the moment, he's really, really struggling for minutes. And, Mm. you know, it never feels like Arteta... I've never had the sense that he doesn't believe in Nelson or that he doesn't admire his talent or that he doesn't think there's a use for him. And he's, you know, been sort of unequivocally positive about him whenever asked. But I guess the proof is kind of in the pudding and he's not he's not picking him. Um so I think that is a real concern. I mean, presumably you, you think he should be a bit worried too.
2: Yeah, I mean I think he He could be more worried if, for example, we play Eddie and Keddy on the left wing against Dundalk, with the greatest of respect to my uh, countrymen, I think that might be a much bigger concern than a game against a more established, or no more established, but perhaps a, a better team um, like Rapid. I think that yeah. would be, if he didn't get minutes in those games against Dundalk, against Molde, if we'd played, um, let's say, lower division teams in the Carabao Cup, and he didn't get played. Then, you know, he could be worried. But yeah, look, I, I think this comes back to the square pegs, round holes kind of thing. The the yeah, yeah the yeah. way Arteta sets up his team, maybe he views. I, I don't know. I don't know because I think there was a question on the the Discord from Darth Gunner who says, "Why is Arteta so insistent on using a false nine and moving actual strikers wide left?" I don't know maybe he just likes it. I don't know.
1: Um yeah, I mean the thing that I always think about that and, and if when we control the ball the, the when we see Aubameyang stood out on the left wing tracking back on the halfway line it's when we don't have the ball and that means that as you pointed out against Man City sometimes when we break in transition he's not in the best position to mm. kind of be the option in behind. But in theory if we control possession you know really where he should be is within the width of the 18 yard box which in the last 20 minutes yesterday is predominantly where he was and you know that that's the point really is that when when we have the ball he he absolutely shouldn't be stood out on the left flank so i think the things kind of go hand in hand i think we're not controlling games sufficiently to be able to kind of dictate mm. shape and dictate where our players are they're getting pulled back into that back five And is getting pulled back onto left midfield because we haven't got the bloody ball. You know, we haven't had a 70% possession game or whatever you want to call it. So all these things are definitely interlinked. Um, I can't remember what my point was going to be about Reese Nelson. Oh, yeah. So as you might have gathered from listening to this podcast, I'm not massively invested in Cedric's Arsenal career. And I have to say, looking at the quality of the opposition we face, although it's not his preferred position, I do wonder, if, the, given what the job we asked, to do, asked Cedric to do last night, it was basically playing in the final third, quite narrow at times. And I think Nelson could potentially do that from the right-hand side. He's done it in the past. If we're looking to squeeze him in, he might mm. squeeze him there. Well, I had
2: a question which might fit into this a little mm. bit. It comes from Tony Kent, who's at 2-0 down, given you're advocating something different than Cedric, which isn't Hector Bellerin. He says, mm-hmm. and he thoughts on why Ainsley Maitland-Niles has been left out so often lately. Only played yeah. seven minutes from four games in October. And I, I get what you're saying about Reese Nelson, but I think if you're looking for somebody to do what... Um, yeah. to, to, to play ahead of Cedric, that isn't Bellerin. Maitland-Niles, obviously stands out for me. So any thoughts on what's going on there?
1: Weird. I thought he'd play last night. So
2: did I. He was at the He was the press conference guy and everything.
1: I thought Bakayo Saka would be rested. Uh, and I thought maitland Oz would play that position, I have to say. And it worries me a little bit that we might try and play Saka again against Leicester. I think it's, we're asking a lot of him. As I know he's great and he's young and blah, blah, blah. But we are, you know, leaning into his ability at the moment. I th- I do wonder if Maitland-Niles maybe will start at the weekend.
2: Yeah, I was just going to ask you: Do you think? Do you think that him not playing last? It's weird, isn't it? To say, do you think he was left out of this game to keep him fresh for the game against uh, Leicester? When you know he hasn't really played at all, so he's going to be as fresh yeah. as he like
1: anyhow. He could have played both games, or they could have shared the minutes or something. But uh, yeah, I think it is weird. So, A, I think it's weird that he never... He, he did get a go on the right, didn't he? Was it against... Uh, who was it in the Carabao? We beat them 1-0 or something. To, or Pepe scored a... Uh, Leicester. It was Leicester. Yeah. Um, I know that, that wasn't the score, was it? But uh, anyway, I didn't watch that game. But anyway, he played a, right <laughs> back in that. <laughs> I, he played it right back. I was away. He played it right back in that and apparently wasn't great. But I do think... Of course, you know, I think he's a better option than Cedric in that position. I'd like to see more of him there. I think he might play at left wing back against Leicester. And I think that if he does, if he does, that tells you about the respect that that Arteta has for Leicester. I Mm. think it also raises an interesting question of, well, I'm curious to see where our chances come from, you know, without Mm. Saka there. That would be my worry.
2: Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, Yeah. Curious Uh, to see what's going
0: on.
1: Yeah. Unless Saka plays in the front three and some, you know, as we've discussed as a possibility. I mean that would that would certainly be interesting. Mm. Uh okay, let's have a question. Let's do the obligatory Mesut Özil question. Uh, so this one is from uh Jesse Oso on the Discord and Jesse says we're all bored of Mesut talk. But given we're unwilling to put him in a squad and he is happy to sit till the end of his contract, why don't we just pay him out and move on? It's the same outcome at this point. I
2: think the very simple answer is is that that is not what Mesedovic wants. His agent mm. has been pretty clear about that, hasn't he?
1: For some time. For some
2: time like a long time. Mesedovic mm. is going to stay until the end of his contract. He will stay to the end of his contract. There's no equivocation here. He's been consistent with that message for the last 18 months, at least, Mm. you know, which tells you how long this thing has been going on as well.
1: Um, Yeah. So I just... I think think it's the writing's on the wall that that's how it's going to play out. I really, Hmm. really do. I don't really see an alternative. How...
2: How do you view the situation, though? I mean, I know we're all fatigued by it. I think it's a really sad and ignominious end to the Arsenal career, of a, a very talented player. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought Arteta this week spoke well about it, you know. Um,
1: he said all the right things, I yeah, think. Yeah, I mean, he
2: know. said it was for football reasons and some people believe him, some people don't believe him. I think he's been pretty upfront and honest about it. He owned the decision. He took responsibility for it. You know, the idea that that football reasons... I think it's a very broad um, term, right? Because people hear, well, it's for football reasons, and they'll say, well, how can Mesut Ozil not be in the squad and, you know, someone like Joe Willick is, ignoring the fact that Joe Willick isn't a foreign player or anything like that. It's not just about the talent of a player, is it? It's not just that, um, you know, Mikel Arteta thinks that, I don't want to keep using Joe Willock as an example, but, you know, that... that Mesut Ozil is less talented or has less ability than Joe Willock. It's not that. It's a more broad um decision than just his technical ability or what he's done in the past or his creativity and and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, mm. I don't know if you saw this, but like this morning on the Ars Blog, Ar- Ars Blog, on the Arsenal Facebook page, they have a, you know, a piece of hashtag content and it starts uh, Mesedozil reacts to or Mikel Arteta reacts to Mesedozil tweets during rapid Vienna win and it's our Germany international <clears throat> was active on social media during our UEFA Europa League win tonight and as you said the Mesedozil account was um was tweeting away I didn't see any of it uh but you know is it Mesut Ozil? Is it the social media team behind Mesut Ozil? Does that even matter? Is this what's is this what's going to happen for every game now?
1: Well, everybody's playing nice, aren't they? You know, Arteta in his press conference was asked about the tweets and was like, "That's great, you know, that's what we want from our players who are left out." Uh, and I'm sure that's what a dig at through.
2: Socrates that is.
1: <laughs> I'm sure that's said slightly through gritted teeth, you know, but. Um, I think both sides have to be seen to be conducting themselves appropriately in the circumstances. No one wants to do anything wrong that could incur issues for them down the line. Um, And I think, yeah, it's a bizarre charade, really, will play out. I think it is really a shame. I think it's basically a situation where everybody loses. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's much to be proud of on any side uh and it's really ugly to be honest I, I I want it over and I want it gone not because of a, a personal uh slight against the player but just because it's a really unpleasant ugly sort of risible almost situation to have attached to this football club and I think there's responsibility for that on all sides um and I, I hope to God it, it never happens again.
2: Yeah. But here we are with 7 months left of this and um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then there'll be
1: more, you know, there'll be more news stories, well, there'll be
2: Yeah, people I were suspect. saying, well, look, he's out of the squad now. Mikel Arteta has made his decision and that will be that. At least we won't be asked uh about Mesut Ozil anymore and <laughs> you know, the first game we play after that decision you know, his social media um, interactions are being brought up at the press conferences. So there's kind of no escape from it. And like yeah. you, I think it's really sad. I think it's a shame. I think it's, it doesn't look good for Arsenal. It doesn't look good for Messi Ozil. Uh, you know, he's, you know, a, a kind of a superstar in world football who is sitting on tweeting about games that he should be playing in, mm. you know, or, mm maybe he shouldn't be playing in europa league games you know with the talent that he has but you know what i'm saying it's like yeah what is this a, i mean what the, what is it what is i this? don't know you know it's just it's it's just really bad and i i think i think it's got the potential to become while it's, as you're saying everybody's nice at the moment it's got the potential and I see undercurrents of it on Twitter. Um, it's got the potential to become really toxic. If it hasn't oh, I... already, you know. Um, and I think it's it's an, it's an unhealthy situation for the players, for Mesut Ozil, for Mikel Arteta, for the football club. As you say, nobody's winning. Nobody is winning here. And, no, and no, the I'm... thing about it is it's not, it can't be a surprise to anybody that this has happened the way it's happened. Not Ozil, not Arteta, not Ozil's agent, not the club. I just don't understand why there hasn't been a greater effort or more effort to just resolve this in the background.
1: I agree. I agree. And, and and from the exterior, you know, I feel like there's been a lot of pride on all sides and pride can be quite a damaging thing at times. And, I, I you know, it feels like a situation that's become about the winning of it, you know, and I, I kind of think there's there's so much else at stake that's probably more important. Mm. So yeah, it it's uh just it's catastrophic I think for the player. It's catastrophic for Arsenal Football Club certainly in terms of what we have paid Mesut Ozil across this period, the fact that we've got no real use out of him. I mean, you know, for a club with our resources, that it that is truly disastrous. Yeah. Um so, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's just a, a bewildering thing to see happening. I mean, you know, I know it's not completely isolated in world football, but this feels like a particularly pronounced example. And I think more things will come up between now and the end of the season. We're two months away from another transfer window. Yeah. We're two months away from Arsenal being able to register players again. You know, every time he is omitted from something... Uh, you know, every time, last week it was the Matchday Squad, last season it was the Matchday Squad, but this season it'll be, you know, oh, they haven't ch- chosen to re-register him or blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it will roll on and on and on. And hopefully it will come to an end next summer. Um, well, certainly the professional relationship will.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's getting an extension, James. No? No.
1: I just think if Cedric's on that sweet <laughs> four-year deal... <laughs> There's got to be a chance. We're
2: looking for somebody who can do. Listen, if Willian's got three
1: years, (laughs) oh my god! In a world where Willian's got three years, I think Messer, you know, aim for two. See what see what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like this
2: one from the Discord from Jez Box, who says, "Cedric versus Lichsteiner. What's the difference apart from a four-year contract? Ouch,
1: ouch. Okay. Do you know what? I think Cedric's better than Lichsteiner was. I'll, I'll I'll give him that.
2: Well, Lichsteiner was 45. Um, So there you go. Um, Okay, our friend uh, East Lower at East Lower says, on a scale of not very Arsenal to very Arsenal indeed, how Arsenal is it that despite having a wide array of backup defenders, midfielders and attacking players, the one player currently having the biggest wobble is the one with the least backup? He is referring, of course, to Bernd Leno and what happened to him last night. And uh, as an aside to that, Ashley Moss, who's at Ashley Moss 4, says, how bad must Runerson be?
1: Well, I think Runerson's quite bad. (laughs) 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 I mean, the stats say he's bad. His career history says he's quite bad. Um, So he's probably quite bad. Right. Wouldn't you think? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, like, he's probably fine. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's probably like Cedric or something. Like, he's probably absolutely fine. But he's not going to be number one, is he? He's not gonna no, rock- no. He's not at Leno's level or close to it. Um, so let's just h- hope he never has to play, is basically my opinion on that. Uh, and, and maybe he will play. Maybe he'll play like... I don't know, one of the Dundalk games or something. I don't know. Maybe they will chuck him in. I, I don't think I can blame the lack of competition for Leno's mistakes. I mean, I know you know he, he is the number one. He was the number one. He always will be the number one. What um, was he?
2: Was he concerned or worried about his place? As number one, when Emmy Martinez. Prior, exactly, no,
1: no. Uh, was there before the lockdown? Prior to his injury, it's not like what was keeping Leno on his toes was that we all were chomping at the bit hoping Martinez got a start. Yeah. Um, hardly. It was kind of a similar situation to what it is now. It felt like a very clear number one. Albeit, Martinez was playing cup games and doing absolutely fine. Um, I think he just had a bad night. You know, I think he I think he made that mistake and he was nervy from that point on um, and a bit agitated. I don't think he's brilliant with the ball at his feet. I don't think, uh, you know, sorry to invoke his name, but mm. I don't think he's got the ability of, of Martinez with the ball at his feet. You know, uh, he doesn't have the confidence. He might gain that, probably mm. won't. Probably, like, this is who he is at this point and he'll, you know, he'll sort of get away with it most of the time and there might be the occasional error. But I'm not, you know, I'm not hashtag Leno out or anything like it. Yeah. What do you make of the situation with the lack of competition?
2: Well, like I said, I don't think Leno was particularly worried about Emmy Martinez. No, he was Before.
1: To be honest, it doesn't sound like he was worried at any point, does it? But, yeah.
2: No. Um, What do I think? Yeah, I mean, I don't really think it's an issue per se. I think the issue is not so much the lack of competition, but the lack of depth. That if something does happen to Leno, we're relying on a goalkeeper who lost his place at Dijon to come in and play at Premier League level and be really good. You know, was there a reason why, James, we were chasing uh, David Raya all summer and kept making bids that kept getting be uh, being rejected there must have been a reason so
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I mean uh, and you know even once Runison was done Arsenal hadn't completely abandoned hope of getting right
2: so does that not suggest that Runison was brought in as potentially the third choice goalkeeper on the premise that Matt Macy was going to leave and we were looking at David Raya for I
1: think so. Yeah. I think so. And um you know, I I reported this after the transfer deadline but there is a clause in David Raya's contract which comes into action next summer with a minimum fee. So it would not surprise me at all if Arsenal returned to that. Mm. But in the meantime, um yeah, we are we are lacking we are lacking competition for Leno, but I, I personally don't have a massive problem with that. I want Leno to play all the Europa League games and all the Premier League games. Mm. Uh, that's what I want. Um, yeah, I don't well, want to know. know how bad we're how bad Rasmussen <laughs> <laughs> is. Uh, and if he kind of t- turns out to be brilliant, I will absolutely take my hat off to him. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and he'll be like, "Oh, that's fine. Now you've taken your hat off. We're even." Um, Put your hat back on.
2: I can't look at your head. How about that? That's what he'd say.
1: <laughs> uh, right. Okay. I need a question. You do. Have you got a question to hand? Because I, you've asked two questions that I had prepared. Oh,
2: okay. Uh, Kerem Tosin, who's at Keram underscore Tosin, says... I feel some fans have already forgotten that Artetas led us to an FA Cup and European football only months ago. Do you think that in today's age of 24-7 sports media, the time frame in which we appreciate success has lessened dramatically?
1: 100%.
2: I I was going to do a tweet this week where I was going to, I couldn't quite get the wording right, but it was like, do you remember the good old days? Remember the old days when everything was great back in August when we won the fucking FA Cup?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And then the community shield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, all those blissful truffles. times, the days of your, the houseian days. Uh you of could you six could, weeks ago. Yeah,
2: uh, you could go out, you could leave your door unlocked, leave your bike in the front yard and nobody would steal it.
1: I know. Um yes, I think the pace of dissatisfaction is remarkable. I really really do and I think um it's all it's emphasized by the fact that there are no crowds currently mm. and all of the fan experience lives online through social media.
2: That's a really good point because I think yeah. Tim Tim Stillman often makes the point that um, the reaction in the ground or, or the way that fans react to things inside the ground or many fans that go to games don't live on social media 24/7. And I think when you when you and I'm not sort of ignoring the fact that we're on social media and we do podcasts and we talk about the game and we we're part of it. I'm not ignoring that, but I do think that when when you're Discussing the same thing over and over and over again, day in, day out. I'm not I'm not saying that's what we're doing, but I, I know that some people, and I'm not saying this to be critical, I think it's true of, of many football fans, they can get laser focused on one particular issue mm. and they sort of extrapolate things from that issue, which aren't necessarily there. I think when you you go over and over and over one thing or two things, it becomes a much bigger thing than it actually is. If that makes sense,
1: yeah. And before you know it, Arteta's Emery. <laughs> but no, I I, the, I, I think it's it, it does perpetuate that sort of analysis, and and I and I don't think the analysis is is inaccurate. So, for example, the criticisms of Arsenal that we have and that others have at the present time, are absolutely valid, I think. You know, like the the lack of attacking power and penetration. I think that's absolutely correct and valid. I do think that maybe the nature of online discourse is it sort of accelerates the speed at which that develops into dissatisfaction, you know, or like unhappiness. Sure. Um, And it changes our kind of timescale of what is acceptable development Uh, because, you know, you're right. It was weeks ago that we were all extremely happy with the direction that we were taking. That said, we were also saying at the time, there's a different challenge this season. And the challenge is to, you know, dominate certain games and be more of an attacking force. It's an interesting one. Because also, you know, you're right, the, the, there is a, always a divergence between the way the fans in the ground feel and the way the fans on social media feel. But then there's a lot more fans on social media than there are in the ground. So, you know, it's, yeah. uh, weighing those two things against each other is really tricky.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think if you'd said to people at the arse end of the Emery era, if we, if we are where we are, a year later, under Mikel Arteta, would you take it? Most people would have taken it because, you know, there's progress. We've won a trophy. We got back into Europe despite the Premier League season being uh bad. You know, we've uh, re-signed Aubameyang. We've signed up Saka. We brought in Partey. We brought in Gabriel. You know, we've done things that I think people would have been really happy with if you'd laid sure. it out in front of them and said it. And all the time, you know, the idea that, it is a work in progress. It takes time to get things right. All of those are common sense uh, statements that people can get on top of and on board with. And they say, yes, absolutely. It takes time to build a team. It takes time to put things right. It takes time to imprint your style on a club. It takes time to, you know, even some of the, the, the stuff about, um, how will I put this? People have wanted a manager at Arsenal who, who is ruthless right? Yeah. They want these things, we've got one of these, and now they don't like some of the ruthlessness, which is fair enough, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, you know, people can react the way they react to certain things. But at the same time, you know, this long-term or medium-term outlook in football, which is sensible, and that everybody can see the rationale in, is every three days, out the window, because there's a game. You know, it's hard to, to... to marry the two things. The acceptance that I can see it's going to take time to get us back to where we want to be. It's not an overnight thing. It won't happen overnight, you know, otherwise it'd just be a miracle. So it's going to take us a while to get there, absolutely. Fuck, why did we play that way against that team and not do that? You know, that's that's just the reality of... Of football and the the, I'm not going to say just the online experience, but the experience of fans and and the way uh, football is discussed and analysed these days. Yeah, There's no escaping it's,
1: it. It's all it's all football fans. It's us as well. It's uh, it's struggle to take kind of a macro view of things. You look at it game by game. Once you've latched onto a problem, it becomes kind of you know you, you fixate on it. You see it every game, and you don't sit back and go, well, "Where were we?" six months ago and where are we now Mm. you know it's it's very 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 difficult to to do for anybody Um, and yeah I I agree I think that the the task for Mikel Arteta obviously is to improve the team to get top four to make us a better attacking force Mm. but on that final point I think that the real challenge for him is to know and sense maybe better than us at what point to Implement these evolutionary steps. Sure. And he has to hold his nerve almost to be like, now I know, I know actually we're not quite yet there to make that leap or we're not quite there to make this leap. And, you know, we might be sitting on the sidelines and going, come on, push it. We need to, you know, push the button. We need to do it. But I'm hoping that my interpretation of the situation and my hope is that he shares. Those frustrations, he shares those goals. He just has a different sense of the timeline. Mm. Um, and that's his job, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's our job to to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, for
2: sure. Okay. Look, we've got time for one more question. I've got one here. On okay. this. Um, it comes from Bewell at Skipper AFC. He says, Firstly, is the tie dye shirt the most revolting thing you've ever seen? Secondly, what is the worst thing Adidas could sell people uh, that people would still pretend is lovely?
1: <sighs> what is the worst thing Adidas could sell people?
2: Well, no, firstly, is the tie-dye shirt the most revolting thing you've ever seen?
1: Um, it's not great. It's uh, not great. What do you think? Uh, I mean, you hate bluey kits anyway. Mm, am, am I right to,
2: to think that um, this was designed by Pharrell?
1: Is that correct?
2: I think I think so.
1: Wow, uh, uh, I, I saw his name actually referenced in regards to it, so maybe that is right. Arsenal Pharrell.
2: Hum- uh, well, I don't know. How he designed it, but apparently it's his um, project. Human Rights. Pharrell Williams designed human. Well,
1: at least oh, he- I'm yeah. sorry. I've just realised what they're talking about. So, is this the pre-match jersey?
2: No, it's this new jersey
1: that's doing the rounds? Which one? Not the one we played in last night.
2: No, have a look at the... Have a look at Arsenal.com right now. The thing that
1: Aubameyang's wearing and it's like yellow and blue. Yeah. I'll tell you now, I don't mind it. Ah, I knew it. I don't mind it. It's got, you know, a bit of banana hue to it. I'll take it all day long. Mm. So the answer is... I will clearly buy anything Adidas put out. I thought we were talking about the blue kit. No,
2: no, 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 no. This is the the, thing. Which has a
1: similar sort of tie-dye squid ink effect on it, Mm. albeit in darker colours. Yeah, I mean, that sort of looks like a a bruised banana kit that's sort of gone funny in the wash, doesn't it? This new tie-dye thing. It's a bit.
2: It's not for Um, me, I have to say. No, no. Think... Do you know what tie dye reminds me of? I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember the T-shirts that you, that came out? Um, I think it must have been in the eighties. So maybe you don't. Maybe they still had them in the nineties. I don't quite remember. Maybe but but when you put them on, as you got warm, they would kind of change colour and shit. Do you remember those?
1: Oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's that sort of vibe, isn't it? Yeah, it's not great. I. So I'm yeah. sorry,
2: Pharrell. I'm not particularly happy with this.
1: What I will say generally is that Arsenal produced a fair bit of yellow merchandise because of the old bruised banana. Yeah. But yellow is a difficult colour for uh, quite a white pasty man to wear. <laughs> you just sort of look. I mean, I'm, lo- I'm looking at a picture of a Bermang in it. He looks great. But I just would sort of be washed out. Yeah, it's all man. about the model, isn't it? It really is. I think so. Um, wh- what's the worst thing they could make that people would buy? probably one of those changing colour shirts like you just mentioned. Yeah.
2: I reckon they could do, like, a, a shirt, the design of which is William Gallas sitting on the ground at Birmingham City that time. Yeah. Uh, throwing the fucking tantrum of all tantrums. And what they would do is they would say, well, actually, the design of William Gallus is made up from thousands of tiny little Ian Wrights wearing the bruised banana shirt. And it's part of our heritage and history. And people would go, oh, give me one. I gotta get one.
1: Yeah. I reckon they, they do could good do good all. a enough advert for yeah. it. Yeah,
2: exactly. They could do like the worst moments in Arsenal's history, but they'll just say like, "Oh, uh, this is Almunia being beaten at the near post in the Champions League final." But we designed it using a paintbrush made from Dennis Bergkamp's pubes, <laughs> and people will be like, "Yeah, oh, gotta have one of those. Get me one."
1: <laughs> I mean, uh, if, that would, if they made that available, I'd be first in line. <laughs>
2: i have no doubt about that i have no doubt about that i do think that tie-dye thing would go well with your gray track pa- uh track pants though
1: that's true i mean come on mm. it's a whole look you've got to remember and what about dennis burkamp's son by the way turning up in the academy you seen that story
2: i did see that how old is he though he's like 26 <laughs> yeah he's
1: 22 he's an undis- he's a-, a diamond in the rough an undiscovered gem Oh, I just like the idea that we're is, sort of getting the band back together. You know, Edu's son, Burkamp's son, is, they're is, all hanging out.
2: Is Burkamp's uh, son's first name a Maori? <laughs> uh,
1: if it is, it might help him get a contract.
2: A Maori Burkamp Pi. All right. Well, we'll see what happens there. Um, I think we should leave it there. Um, we've got Leicester on Sunday evening, of course. So um, fingers crossed for that one. We'll be here to talk about it on Monday. In the Arsecast Extra. So, as ever, thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Keep fingers crossed for the three points on Sunday, and we will catch you on the next one.
1: Bye-bye.